this. Our, uh, by the way, today is December 19th. It is 2012. Our message today is called uh, Clear Vision. Clear Vision. I'd like to tell you right up front that this pastor has absolutely no uh, desire to make an easy life out of Christianity. I do not believe that God called us to an easy life. The idea that we're supposed to pursue comfort and pleasure and the sewer of vice that the world is spitting out is completely contrary to the scripture. I want that spring of living water that says take up your cross daily and feel the power of the resurrection. My heart is for the hurt of the gospel. He said, well, that sounds sadistic. I feel closer to Jesus when it costs me something to work for him. I do not think that we do ourselves a justice to pad our lives in every way. I, like Paul, want to know the fellowship of suffering. On that note, in Samuel 14, what we see is a young man named Jonathan. Jonathan was a special guy in the Bible, special to, to, uh, to David, special to the Scripture. He, he symbolizes a loyal, loving friend, and uh, he wants to pick a fight with the enemy. Yeah? How many of you came here tonight wanting to pick a fight with the enemy? <laughs> you know, you may not want to pick a fight with the enemy. There's, I, I get it. Not every hand went up in here. You, you might want to just coast under the radar, but I got news for you. He's already picked a fight with you. Okay? I don't know how you grew up, where you grew up. I don't know what your life was like. But I have been in places that when somebody picked a fight with you, you didn't much have a choice. You could lay down or stand up. That, that was about all there was. And in the spiritual realm, this is how this works. You can lay down and be forced upon, or you can stand up and in Holy Ghost power, be the one that is forcing upon. And I want to drive the devil out of my life, out of the lives of the people that I meet in the kingdom. Jonathan had a heart like that. He looks up, he sees garrisons of Philistines, and he's like... Hey, y'all want to go whip them? Nobody did. So he's looking at his armor bearer and he's like, you know what? We will make fun of them. And if they respond to us in any way, then we will know God wants us to go kill them all. I mean, it's, it's insane. But this passage stood out to me during worship. I had not planned to preach on it and I, I just want to share it to you. It's verse 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross... My goodness, to do anything in the gospel that causes you to cross over something. It'll cause you to cross the street. It'll cause you to cross the ocean. It'll cause you to cross out of unhappiness and right into supernatural joy. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. It was going to cost him something to go to war. He was going to have to cross over a gulf from where he stood to where they stood. Now, I want you to understand most people would be perfectly happy to have some distance between them and the enemy. But Jonathan was looking for an occasion to advance the kingdom. He was looking for an occasion to do what he was born to do. Friends, we need to be on duty. We need to be looking for an occasion to confront the enemy. Every time we see somebody oppressed, somebody that spiritual violence is being committed upon, this is an occasion for us to cross from where we are safe on the other side of the cliff straight to them. Because we serve a God who rescues people from the dominion of darkness. He brings them into the kingdom of light and, and under the, the dominion of the Son that He loves. 
On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Boses and the other Sina. Boses in Hebrew means suffering. Sina in Hebrew means glory. He had to cross a cliff and it would include suffering and glory. He had to go through both and I'm going to tell you the truth. Suffering came before glory and it always does. If you want to accomplish something for Jesus, it will always cause you to have to get up from where you are and cross over to where they are. And between you and them will always be suffering followed by glory. This is the gospel message. We cannot sit back in our comfort, cannot sit back and not care on the other side of a gulf from what happens to them. One pastor while preaching here recently said, you know, that you avoid eye contact because when you make eye contact, you own that situation. Jesus made eye contact, friends. The spirit of Jesus in you causes you to own the situation. Wherever you are, the kingdom is because the kingdom is within you. The king is within you. His spirit is within you. And if he is with us, who can be against us? If he is for us, what will stand against us? How can we not look at the Philistines and say, oh, I'm going to take you and do it today? I don't know where this kind of namby-pamby Christianity came from. This said, duck your head, crawl low, don't make a sound and nobody will get hurt. But it's not true. It results in slavery. It results in people who know all about Jesus and do none of the work of Jesus. I'm telling you it's time to stand up and go through Moses gladly to get to Sina. This is the way that the Christian message got out, friends. It cost them everything to bring you the good news that you now have. Thorn bushes in glory. Look at verse 7. This is Jonathan. He's been talking to his armor bearer who doesn't even have a name in this story. Oh my goodness, there's not enough men like this. People who don't even want their name in the story. They just want a little blood of the enemy on their hands. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Oh man. You know, Motown sang songs like this, you know, about your heart and soul. But the church has lost something of heart, grit, and soul, something of that, that passion. We are supposed to engage in our Father's work. He's been working since the beginning, and he put you here to complete it. We wait for Jesus to do what Jesus has empowered us to do. We are supposed to be with him, heart and soul, attacking, advancing, looking to rescue, looking to save. This has got to be our heart. And the devil is always trying to turn our attention away from the battle line and back towards ourselves and into pity and self-indulgence and pampering and make it all about me, me, me. And it is a death sentence for the Christian. Because the life of the gospel is when you lay down your life that his resurrection power might enter you and take you to new heights. It's never been about us. It's always been about them. We receive the word and we act like it's a done deal. Turn to John 8. Let's look at 31. When we receive the word, we, we say, hey, he's born again. He believes. He believes. Look, he believes. And we're so excited. You ever walk past a maternity ward? We're all excited when children are born, but we don't leave them in that state. 
We don't stop feeding them. We don't stop expecting them to grow. You know, if I say, hey, he wears diapers, that's a perfectly acceptable statement as long as we're talking about somebody who's under two. But if we're talking about somebody who's 40, that's not good. Certain things are appropriate at certain places in life. Look at John 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him. Let that sink in for a second. The Jews who had believed in him. Everything is possible for him who believes. Yes? yes. Yeah. Belief. It, it, this, is, this is how we begin following him. We believe on his name. Whosoever should call on his name. We hear his word and we, we believe it. Right? To the Jews who believed in him. Jesus said, if, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Apparently, believing his word was not enough. You had to adhere. You had to glue. You had to force yourself within the narrow confines of his will. This is why Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father. It is not enough to believe or to know or to say, I just love Jesus with all my heart. That is not enough. You have to hold to his teaching. You have to live it out. We need to get rid of the idea that obedience is optional. Mm -hmm. Look, I know. We think it's okay to have a bad day. We think kind of owe it to ourselves to take it easy. Where do you find that attitude in Christ? Because Philippians 2 and 1 Peter 4 both say your attitude should be that of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17 teaches, Be joyful always, pray continually, for this is God's will for a select few of you. What's it say? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Say, well, when we're talking about contending with the enemy, Eric, if I saw a baby who needed to be fed, I'd feed him. Yes, but there's enemies that you don't see. And they're working on you to steal your joy, which is your strength. They're working on you to steal your purpose. They came to steal, kill, and destroy you. And it starts in this distance between our head and our hearts. I want to encourage you to force thoughts out of your life that are not godly. Amen. To actually do what Paul said and take them captive yeah. to the knowledge of Christ. Weigh the thought against Christ and if it doesn't measure up, get rid of it. Don't claim it as yours. Call it what it is, devilish. And throw it out so that we are not distracted or ensnared or entangled without doing the will of God. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We quote this all of the time. I hear it all of the time. You are set free by an continual adhering to what Jesus has told you to do. You exchange one slavery for an altogether lovely service. To be free is to be free to do what He has told you to do. The moment we begin to stray from what He's told us to do, we've entered into bondage no matter how good it feels for a moment. Our lives belong to Him now. They answered Him, We are Abraham's descendants. We have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? They did not understand their true state, and neither do most Christians. We profess the power of heaven and it doesn't show up in our lives 
because we do not adhere to his teaching. We adhere to it on Sunday. We adhere to it on Wednesday. We adhere to it when we know a pastor standing nearby. Friends, integrity is defined as what you do when no one is looking. I know you're being pressed upon. I know you are because I am. Sleep's been few lately. The physical work has been harder lately. Been emotional poolings in every direction lately. I know that. You know why? You're growing up and for the first time we've become truly dangerous to the enemy. So we get the glory of experiencing a little bit of warfare. <laughs> Come on, anybody in here ever box? Anybody in here ever have hand-to-hand -hand combat? Man, it's, it's not, it doesn't begin to be fun until you start to draw blood. That's how you know that you're doing something. In the kingdom, we want to have powder puff prophets. You know, we despise anyone who tells us to get our butt in gear. You're a pastor. How can you say that? Well, it's what you needed to hear. To the Jews who had believed in him. This next line I'm going to move on from quickly is verse 34. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no, what's that, what, what's that phrase say? Permanent place. But he might be in the house for a while. He might hang out with the godly for a while. He might even know the Father's name, might know what Jesus looks like, might be able to quote scripture, might be able to worship next to you for four or five years. But his place is not permanent because he is not truly adhered to Christ. He's still adhered to what he wants to do, and that's called sin. Permanent place. I want to make my place in his presence permanent, and there's only one way to do that. You know, one thing I love about my little boy, Gabe, he is, he is a passionate individual, right? Sometimes that passion is not good. I'm telling you, you got way too much of me in him. He, he, he's liable to throw a left and a right before I have been able to even back up or say stop. That's, that's Gabe. But he's also really, really quick to shed a tear. Really, really quick to be compassionate. And one of the things that I just love, he's, he's scrawny right now, right? He hadn't hit that stage yet. And, uh, I mean, little bitty frail. And he's so strong. One of the things that is really neat about him, though, I can throw him across the room, and I do. I'm, I'm, I'm a bad father. I, uh, I, I aim for the middle of the king-size bed from the other side of the room. I bounce him off of walls. I, I get a real kick out of how tough he is. And it is the hardest thing to do that stuff to Gabe. You know why? He clings to my legs, my feet, my head. He's like a cat. He can wrap himself around me. No matter how hard I am trying to push him away, I can't create distance between us, even though I'm infinitely stronger than him. Friends, we have to have that kind of clinginess to Jesus. He's never tried to push us away, but the world is trying to pull us away. Something about you has got to get into a clinch with him. Wrapping your arms around him, your feet around him, chest to chest, whatever you have to do. Because the truth is, the degrees of separation are really degrees of death. We cannot do it. We simply cannot do it. Let's go to Exodus 13. I want a permanent place. I'm a son in the family. I am not a slave because I have been born of a new nature. I've left Egypt and I am going to obey even if I face giants. In Exodus 13, looking at verse 17. 
I suppose I should tell you why I'm covering some of these things. I read a quote Sunday. It said, the bravest are those who have the clearest vision of what is before them. The glory and the danger alike. And yet, nevertheless, go out to meet it. This is Thucydides. He's in the 4th century B.C. Renowned historian and observer of human behavior. And he began to watch warfare. And he said, you know, the bravest are not stupid. They're, they're not cattle just being pushed towards danger. The bravest are the ones that understand exactly what it's going to cost and are more than willing to pay that cost. Oh my goodness, if a Roman historian can understand that. If you know what it's going to cost, and Jesus didn't lie to you, it's not a bold print give and a fine print taketh away kind of scenario. He told us up front, it's going to cost you your life. He said that. If, if you want to follow me and you don't hate your mother and father, in comparison, you, you're not worthy. He said that. He said, you won't lose your life. He said, if any man would follow me, he must take up his cross, deny himself. And he did not trick us. Now, pastors with their donuts and their gift certificates and, you know, their constant desire to please somebody further up the chain and make themselves feel good might have had you raise a pinky with your eyes closed and pretend that salvation. But Jesus never did that. He actually told people the cost. He said things like, you know, the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Uh, it's costing me my comfort it's costing me everything and I'm going to lay down my life for you. And if you won't do it for me, you're not worthy of me. The gospel teaches this. And yet we act like we deserve these padded chairs and air conditioning. Guys, the gospel got to our hemisphere through people who sold themselves into slavery to get it here. The gospel got to our hemisphere from people that crossed a gulf and went through suffering and glory to get it here. I'm going to tell you a secret. That's how it gets everywhere. You're being persecuted. Good. The Spirit of Christ rests on you. If you're not being persecuted, you don't belong to Him. We were called to persecution. Did you know that? If you don't know that, that's not some Old Testament uh, Hebraic idiom that you have to go find in, in an ancient text. The New Testament says it everywhere. You can't read the Pauline letters and come away with a different idea unless, of course... You decided ahead of time what you thought before you read them. Exodus 13 is our story, friends. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go. I find that funny. Did Pharaoh let the people go? <laughs> I mean, what happened to Pharaoh? God's hand was heavy upon him. I mean, it was at the cost of his son's life. It was at the destruction of his nation. Exodus actually says that God judged the gods of Egypt at the same time. I personally see it as a perfect parallel to the end times. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Hey, put Acts 14.21 on the screen. Though that was shorter. You know, I have been told, because I grew up with a football coach that the fastest way between two points is a straight line, right? 
I mean, that's just one of those axioms football coaches have, you know. They want to see you turn north and south on a football field, put your helmet in somebody's chest and run them over. They, those old guys get off on that. That's just what they like, right? Like, my father was the sweetest, most gentle man. But if you got your face mask in somebody's chest and ran them over, you made his day, right? That's just, that's what he loved. I would think that if God wanted to bring his people from Egypt and into a promised land, we would have those two points in a straight line. But our Father is all about patient endurance. Our Father is all about building your trust. He's also gracious and compassionate. He doesn't want you to become overwhelmed. And because He knows you, He knows what you're made of. We need to stop acting like He's given us more than we can handle. When Paul wanted to encourage people, says they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, true to trust it. They said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. They planted churches. They were beaten, stoned, imprisoned, planting churches, and now they're going to go back through and bring them a great encouragement. And you know what they didn't say? They didn't say, God wants you to be rich. They didn't say, don't you want that drug dealer's Cadillac? Because it can be yours. They didn't peddle the gospel like these ridiculous fishers of funds are doing all around us. They told the people the truth. The truth is, it's going to be terribly hard. And it's worth it. They set out Sina and Moses. They set out the danger and the glory and said, do you have courage? Do you have trust in your father? Because it is worth it, friends. I'm asking you the same thing. Our little church has taken on a giant. We've taken on the sex trade this year. We've taken on the abortion trade this year. Industry. Goodness gracious, it is a money-making industry. We've taken on the 10,000 people homeless problem here. It never stops. We've taken on the inmate population here. We've decided that we have to have more staff to meet your needs. We've decided that this room won't hold all the people that we are going to put in it. So we're going to build that one out. We've also looked at that map back there and said it's not right that one little nation has so much. We better take the goodness of the gospel to Asia and Africa and Latin America and Eastern Europe. And we did it this year and we're going to do it next year. Amen. We've looked at men of God that are called of God and said, look, I don't know how this is going to work, but we will meet you in your sacrifice. You feel like God's called you to full-time tent ministry? We will stand with you in dollar for dollar, sweat for sweat, blood for blood. We will meet you where you are. Look around. There's no great resources here. There's just people that understand that to get to the glory, you have to go through some suffering, and we have judged the Lord of glory worth it. We've judged Him worth it. I'm looking for the chance to pick a fight. I don't want the Lord to have to trick me like He did Samson. I don't want the Lord to have to draw me into engagement with the enemy through some carnal desire. I was born for contention with the enemy because I am born of the substance of God. And so are you. This is what you profess. 
So I will not walk around with a frown on my face. Amen. I will not have a day that I just decide in the morning on Facebook for the whole world to see. Today is going to suck. I'm not going to do that. I need today. I need it to be a victory today. I need that. You know why? It proves I'm born of the substance of heaven. And the harder it is, the more glory for him there is in it. The way is narrow. It rubs in my shoulders. It chafes my face. It blisters my feet. And it heals my soul. Oh my goodness. He did not take them through the way that was shorter. The kingdom road is a hard road. For 350 years, Pilgrim's Progress was the best-selling English work in the English-speaking world. And today, no one reads it. You know why? It describes the hard road. Pilgrim got off so many times. He faced giants and rivers and his feet hurt. And he was constantly facing Apollyon. Of course, the man who wrote it was in prison, just like the men who wrote the Bible. And they understood it because they were living it and they judged Jesus worth it. They had a clear vision of what it would cost to get from here to there. And they were gladly willing to pay it. There's not a more self-indulgent season in the world than this one. I'm not a harp on Christmas today. Most of you know I'm burdened with a knowledge that a lot of people don't have about all of its origins. I've decided just like a day like Saturday, named for a foreign god, I still like Saturday. I'm going to make it something that is good. But if we think we honor the king of the universe by practicing the most materialistic thing on the planet, we've deceived ourselves. You want to honor him? Cut it to the bone for his glory. Go give away everything that you can possibly give away without saving the best for yourself. That might honor him. Giving each other the finest gifts that you can possibly find and throwing some change at the homeless, I don't think that's his spirit. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. Our God is not interested in a short path. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Oh my goodness. Our God, when He called us, knew what we were capable of. We act like He's thrown us in over our head. We act like He said, you know, uh, here they are, and thrown us among lions. He didn't just choose the route as a long, difficult route because He's sadistic. He chose the route because he knows how much opposition you can stand up to. It's like resistance training. He has it planned out so that you meet the right enemy on the right day. What does that mean when you meet the enemy? Today is the day of your victory. Because God wouldn't have allowed him to stand before you if you couldn't knock him down. You know why the Bartlett's face the trial that they face? Because God built in them the courage and the trust, the faith. To stand up to it and knock it down. It didn't come to them in their first year in the kingdom. It didn't. And the reason that it didn't is they might not have been able to stand up to it. But the Lord loves them enough to gain glory through their lives. Do we love the suffering? Of course not. I hate it. I despise it. And it's worth it. I, I didn't love to practice either. Or to work out. 
or to do my homework. In fact, that's pretty good at making the underclassmen do my homework. And you know what? All of those things prepare you for the enemy that stands before you that day. Our God is a compassionate general. Go to Revelation 1 9. Would you put that on the screen, Brian? Revelation 1 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. <laughs> you know, we sing songs about the victory that is ours. We sing songs about the glory that is ours, about the gifting that is ours. What did he say is ours? I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Where was he? Oh, he's on a prison island making idols at the time. To get the greatest revelation contained in the scripture, the revelation of Jesus, the great apocalypse that, that we sing songs about. John the Revelator saw heaven coming down, they used to sing about. Required him to be a companion and patient, suffering and endurance. You want to show God faith? God the, the way we show him faith is not in a moment at an altar. I mean, God bless our healing evangelists. But they've made this thing just kind of a, a cookie-cutter assembly. You know what faith is? Faith is when you don't see the result you wanted today, and you still trust him for it tomorrow, no matter how many more tomorrows there are. Faith is persevering under hardship because you are constantly persuaded that God is able to perform what he promised. Circumstances be... Darned. I mean, this is what the ancients were commended for. How many of them stood up on one day and said, I declare, and then that day it happened. They labored for 20 years. They labored over and over and over. Are we better than they? I don't think so. We're more equipped. But not better. You want to please God? Man, allow yourself to be put in a furnace. Let Him mold you. Let Him mold you through hardship. Let Him mold you through not meeting your every desire, your every moment. By the way, how many of you have raised children in here? Please don't sleep. Raise your hands. You raise a child in here? <coughs> what kind of child will you have if you give Him everything He asked for when He asked for it? Oh, man. It's not the kind of child you would want one day to be your boss. I'll tell you that. We have delayed gratification for our children for a reason. We teach them the cost. We teach them to persevere. You think our Father is any different? I'm not telling you not to stand in faith, not to believe today. I'm saying if you don't get what you're after today, don't believe any less tomorrow. Have some Holy Ghost character. Yeah, yeah. Have some power in you. Yeah, amen. We are not dandelions that the wind blows on and we come apart. Amen. In the name of Jesus, we are able to stand the test. The Lord will make you hard as steel. You're an anvil that should wear out a hammer. We are not dandelions. We are sons of the living God. Amen. Somebody said, oh, y'all slept under a bridge. Is that even a hardship? Are you kidding me? You know what I knew? I knew it was going to come to an end. Somebody said, well, now you understand that life. No, I don't feel the slightest bit vulnerable. I'm the absolute alpha male sleeping under a bridge. I didn't see one person, two people, or any five that I had to worry about physically. You want to know what it's like to sleep under a bridge like they do? Break a leg. Have the flu. 
get really sick so that you have to wonder how you're going to do. And that's how the lost go through this world. Absolutely full of fear of what's going to happen. I don't have it. And I don't want you to have it. I trust my Father. In the spiritual world, we are the alpha males. I don't have to worry about what's coming around the corner. Greater is He that is in me. The bigger the demon, the bigger the fall. The bigger the problem, the greater the glory for our God. Cut my head off and my body will live. God will put it back together. What is it that we have to fear? Paul went off, man. He said, neither height nor depth. I mean, he started talking about the greatness of the love of God because in a manner of speaking, he was invincible. No matter what they did to him, he could be content. How dare us live in the mully grub spirit? How about Revelation 13? Maybe it says something different. Revelation 13, 10. Oh, let's pick up an eight. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. He knew the cost. When he entered the world, he knew what it was going to cost and he judged it worth it. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. No wonder all of our theologians have tried to work it out to where we can't be here during this time. They're pansies. Cowards. Get out the yellow paint. Just let's call it what it is. Because the scripture says, if this is your calling, that's, that's your destiny. And you know what? The people who first read this letter thought it was a blessing. The first 300 years of our faith... You actually have to encourage people, don't give your life away easily. It's okay not to be martyred in the first few months of your faith. We actually have to teach that. Now we're pretty darn sure God just wants to pamper us. The way he gets glory, friends, is what you endure in his name. Why do you love Paul? I mean, all Gentiles love Paul. (laughs) You love him because of what he endured to get you the gospel. Do you want people to love you? But just not that much, you know. You have to endure something. You know, it ought not be a strange thing when one of you does something extraordinarily sacrificial for the other. It ought to be an ordinary thing. It ought not be a strange thing when we do it for our neighbors. It ought to be an ordinary thing. It ought to be such a way of life for us that we don't even consider that as a real cost. So much so that the writer of Hebrews says... You remember when you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property? None of you have shed your blood yet. I mean, it's kind of like they still had something to live for. (laughs) Right? You only got my house, man. You missed the rest of me. Here I am. Don't you want to fight? In the name of Jesus, I can take the best you have to give. And you know what? You will not destroy the trust that is in me. And I'll see people saved while you abuse me until you become embarrassed of your behavior. This was Peter's attitude. You can't read his epistles without it. He talks to you about how to win people over without even words. How they become ashamed of themselves for mistreating you and seeing the excellency of your life. Did you know you can do this? Maybe you weren't taught. I'm not a great pastor. That's just the truth. Maybe I didn't tell you. But you do not have to settle for a frown. You do not have to settle to be a victim. Somebody here recently preached that you're a have and not a have not. 
Somebody before that preached that this is not about you, it's about His glory. Somebody before that preached about paying the full price. So I may not have told you, but somebody's told you. Man, when you've been given much, much is required of you. Much is required. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. God is not interested in a temporary placement in his house. You can be a slave and be temporarily in his house. He's not interested in a flash fire of faith. I've met more Roman candles in my Christian walk. I mean, they're just going to take over the world and six months later, they're not even in the kingdom. Where is that marathoner spirit? It says, you can cut my legs off and I will crawl to the finish line. Right? I have judged him worth it. You can find it in Revelation 14 as well. Why don't you go to Revelation 14, 12. Then we're going to get back to Exodus. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandments and are momentarily faithful to Jesus. Come on now, that's not funny. What does it actually say? Those who remain faithful to Jesus. Who obey God's commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. Let me ask you, friends. Did God give you some options? Did He say here today is a multiple choice of what you may be able to do? You know, you could be sad for the first three hours. You could be sad for the last three hours. You, you could walk around depressed today. It's okay. He didn't do that. His word tells us what must be. We, we talk in terms of God's permissive will, God's perfect will. There's only one will of God. There's only one will. There is one narrow way, and it eats away at your flesh. It crucifies it. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not worthy of Jesus. I don't need your butt in these seats that badly. What good would it do to, to have you in an incubator here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and then not see you in the actual kingdom? The way that we prove ourselves... The way that the genuineness of our faith is made evident is by what we endure in His name. So don't seek out comfort. Embrace a trial. Call it joyful. Say, hey, it's pure joy that has come upon me. Watch. You're going to see Jesus. Amen. Maybe that little defiant kid that get, getting thrown out of school found a place for that attitude. Maybe we are just a little too compliant sometimes. We think if enough people tell us that it's okay. Stop watching Dr. Phil and Oprah. They're liars. Amen. Liars. No matter how much you're entertained by them. Stop listening to pastors that lie. You might need to turn off that purple-haired channel. I'm just telling you. If they've got gold thrones up there and, and, and they're stealing money from you, why, why don't you just unplug that devilish box that Satan looks at you through every day? Maybe we could pick up a good book. I'm not going to ask you how many have read it. I just gave you the DCD, and you know how I know that not very many of you read it? Because I hadn't heard you talk about it. This is not a book you read and don't talk about it. <laughs> Friends, we're going to get what we want. 
If what we want is an easy life, you'll get one now. Read the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Here's verse 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Are you kidding me? A voice from heaven said that? Blessed are the dead who die from now on. A voice from heaven said that. Then I heard a voice from heaven say, Right blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Oh my goodness, you're going to have to live for an eternity with what you did in this life now. It's not about making heaven or making hell. You're going to have a pedigree with you. It's going to tell everybody exactly what your character is like forever and ever and ever. Your deeds are going to follow you. Will you be proud? Will you feel worthy to stand in their number? Because Jesus' spirit caused you to stand up to immeasurable odds? Or you be the kind that broke an eyelash and so you left the battlefield? I met more people that walked away from Jesus because they were offended with a relative. You're offended with a relative? You can't deal with the offense of a relative? And we're going to make you somebody who terrorizes hell? Are you kidding me? Jesus said that the members of our own household would be enemies. He said it. He said he didn't come to bring peace, but rather division. The father would be divided from a son. Most of us that got born again got thrown out of our houses when we got born again because we were just a little too radical for the status quo. We counted it a great honor. We counted it a great honor. And we loved him anyway. And they heaped abuse on us and we loved them anyway. And they said they'd never go to our crazy, cultic, charismatic churches and we loved them anyway. We moved them. We built things in their house. We loved them. We visited them in, in, in sickness. And you know what? Most all of them got spirit filled. And there's still a few holdouts. But they'll come around. They just don't know them. I'm not looking for the short way, friends. I'm looking for the one that proves that God built in me patient endurance. I encourage you to adopt that attitude. Let's go back to Exodus 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. (laughs) Why on earth? Lord, I almost would rather face that Philistine than have to go through the desert. He knows that. But he also knows that the Philistine will cut your head off because you hadn't built any faith, any endurance. If the fight goes past the first round, you'll lay down and quit. (coughs) So he took you through the desert to teach you what it is to have to depend upon him for bread, to depend upon him for water. He took you through the desert so that you would learn to live on His Word rather than your circumstance. He took you through the desert to humble you and teach you that you live on Him. So that when you face the Philistine, you said, I'll kill him just like every other enemy that there's ever been. You know why? I'm not measuring his height. I'm not measuring his weight. not measuring his ability or mine. I simply learned to live on God's Word and God said, I can kill him, so I will. Oh, man, God brought you to this place in life so that you could meet the challenges of this place in life. He did that. He allowed the hardship to, how could a loving God allow? Because you needed it. Let's get over ourselves. 
We were not born perfect. We were not born equipped. We were not born having all of the character and integrity and power that we needed. It has to be developed in us. And there's only one way to get it. It's perseverance. But friends, when you have fought for something, hey, why don't we give our teenagers, why are our teenagers' first car almost always hoofties? I went to a private school at the graces of another human being. Praise God. Somebody helped me go to school. I watched those rich kids wreck their first cars over and over and over. I watched one of them wreck seven of them. Man, somebody gives you your inheritance all at once. It's not a blessing, the proverb says. But you fight for it. You scrap for it. Over and over and over, you have to grind at it. You know what it is to wake up early, stay up late, to hurt for it, to play sick, to play hurt, to, to rise to meet the challenge, and you treasure it. I had a little 1984 Toyota that I washed almost every day. Oh, man, was this a piece of uh, garbage. When I got it, it had 174,000 miles on it, and I thought it was a hot rod, you know. I was always putting... You know, new air intakes on it, and new split fire spark plugs, and it's working on my sound system in it, right? You know, I wrecked it about nine times. You know, I beat out the dents, and one time I wrecked it so badly that I, I sold it for scrap. The man had a 1985 Toyota pickup that was wrecked on the other end. He, he merged the two, and I bought it back from him with his own money. Yeah, it was a real blessing. I sold it before we got married, and... We saw it for years still in the same neighborhood. You couldn't kill that thing. I loved it. You know why? I paid for it. That's why I loved it. To get it, I had a 1978 Toyota Corolla hatchback. I had that before I was even old enough to drive. I was younger than Judah. I bought it for 800 bucks. I sold it to somebody else for a little more after fixing it up so that I could buy the one that I wanted. When you have to work for something, friends, it means something to you. We've made the gospel so free, so free, so free, so free that it has no value. It has no value. And I want to tell you it's anything but free. Salvation is free. The walk with Christ costs you everything. Yeah. It costs you everything. Anybody that says different needs to, to ask Jay and Judy Williams when you see them. The gospel says you can stake out a life for yourself, spend 20 years laboring at it, build houses, make friends, establish yourself. And God says, go, and you say, yes, sir. Amen. The gospel costs you everything. Ask Annan and Pearl Israel. They hawked their wedding rings, their family's vehicle, the furniture in their house, just to rent a building so that we could have a gospel meeting in. So God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. Deuteronomy 8.24 says he did that to teach them. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. They left Pharaoh's power armed. When you are born again, everything that the Spirit of God is capable of, and can we say that's a lot? Yeah. Everything that the Spirit of God is capable of resides inside you. All the power of heaven resides in anything Jesus did, anything the Father did. Speaking worlds into existence 
resides inside of you. It's just only used at his discretion. It's only used as he has deemed fit. So we are armed for battle the moment we leave, but he does not take us immediately to the finish line. He allows us to develop perseverance and character and patient endurance, learning to live on His Word so that we know when to apply His kingdom and its power and its righteousness. So that we're not like children with M16s. We're like fully trained soldiers that know what God's good, pleasing, and acceptable will is and know what to do. We've refused being confirmed in this world, conformed, and instead have been renewed by the transfer, transforming of our minds. He took them on a route that would teach them to use what God had given them. They would appreciate it. They would not take it for granted. Is that a loving God? Yes. yes. Ephesians 1.3 says you've been blessed in the heavenly realms with a few spiritual blessings. Every spiritual blessing. Tell me you lacked something. You, you just don't understand, I don't have a job. You got the power of the Holy Ghost. You just don't understand, I'm not loved. You have the power of the Holy Ghost. You just don't understand, I hurt or I'm sick. You have the power of the Holy Ghost. They asked me right before I got on Larry Stockstill's bus if I had a CDL. I said, I have the power of the Holy they asked me when we moved into this building if I had a million dollar aggregate in our insurance policy. I said, I have the power of the Holy Ghost. I had to get the insurance policy. <laughs> We're going to close in Exodus 15. Is that okay? Yeah. Can I quote to you a couple other scriptures just for fun? Luke 12, 32 has become one of my favorites lately. Do not be afraid, little flock. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. I feel like you could be saying that to us. We're not a great big flock. Do not be afraid, little flock. My father delights in giving you the kingdom. It's almost like he loves to train us. He loves to see us use what he's getting. He loves to see us succeed. God's not invested in your failure. Come on, Rochelle. He's not invested in your failure. He loves you. He's going to make sure you succeed. He's going to provide for you the appropriate resistance, the appropriate encouragement. He loves us, Mario. says that. You get this house taken away, he'll give you another one. You get that house taken away, he'll give you one after that. You know what? Your family hasn't done anything but persevere since the day that I met you. And you're better for it. The character of Christ is being formed in you. You're going to raise a harvest of righteousness in the family. Yes. Yes. Amen. yes. Stand up. Say it loud. Get it on the recording for the world to hear. You know the world is listening? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, because he was looking ahead to his reward. Don't you love that it says he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ? Somewhere between the 14th and 16th century B.C. He regarded it as worth it because of Christ. The gospel's always been the same, friends. 
I reject the idea of dispensations. I reject the idea that God changes or that Jesus is the same yesterday, or not the same yesterday, today, and forever. Faith has always pleased God. And there's only one way to prove faith, and that's through adversity. So these men went through hell on earth to put heaven on earth. Mm. Here comes Exodus 14. Thank you, Michael. That was excellent. His name means he who is like God. That's a lot to live up to. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Hathroy, between Migdal and the sea. Oh, no. Did God ever put you in a compromising position? I heard a guy say this in a meeting. He had one of those little Freudian slips that said he put you between Midol and the sea. <laughs> Yeah, look, I, I've been in some uncomfortable spots in my life. Some of them I put myself in. Some the Lord led me into. I don't mind being in the kind the Lord led me into. He put him on a peninsula. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite of Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think. Don't you love that we have a God who knows what the enemy thinks. He is not reacting, friends. God is not sitting in the heavenly considering man and all the things they do reacting to the enemy. If he tells you to do something, it's because he already knows how the devil will react to that and a hundred years in the future how he would react to it. He knows what Pharaoh is thinking. And if you have the Holy Ghost in you, you know what God is thinking. You just need to stop thinking what you are thinking. Mm. I don't know if I can have his mind and my mind too. So given the option, I'm going to choose his. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion. I have heard that since I got born again in one manner or another. What do you mean you gave away your honeymoon money? Are you confused? Are you stupid? Do you want to fail? Don't you know that's the wrong way to start a marriage? I love when they throw scripture at you. You know? A man that doesn't provide for his family is worse than the infidel. Thank you for that. How about a man who disobeys God's spirit? I didn't say that. I love the man who told me enough to shut up. He didn't know what he was saying. The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. What the enemy has never understood is that the desert is not my enemy. Adversity is not my enemy, it's my trainer. The desert is not something I have to fear. It's where I've learned to live on God's voice. I do not have to fear the desert anymore. You know what? I can look at a rock and God will bring water out of it. I can stare at the sky and He'll rain my food out of it. I do not have to fear having a lack ever. How on earth can a church say we're gonna we're gonna have three times next year what we had this year and uh, what we had this year was two and a half times what we had the year before that? How can you do that? I had been trained in the desert. I had been trained in the desert, and my father will cause his wind to blow until the quail fall all around me. My father will cause the dew of heaven to become bread on the ground. My father will provide. 
I sat with a brother just the other day that I love. He challenges me. I, I love what he reads. I love what he preaches. I just love it, right? You love when you meet brother. He said, let's go to India. He said, can you help me get there? Because God's going to help us both get there. I know my father. And there is such need in India that if you had a heart to go, he'd help you all get there. I know that. Now, you may have to sell something. You may have to do without something. You may have to hurt a little bit and consider it the glory of Christ to do it. I don't think I've ever gone on a mission trip that didn't risk the whole church and everything I have. I don't have anything anymore. I've sold it all. That's how I knew it was God. If some rich guy dropped a check on me, I don't know if that would be God. But I'm willing to, to try. <laughs> And if you got a check you want to drop, we will, we will pray about it. That's, that's it. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. Come on, saints. We need to put ourselves in a position that laughs at the Philistine outposts. There's, there's suffering and glory between us. And you know what? I'm coming after you anyway. And there's only two of us and there's 3,000 to 6,000 of you, but I'm, we can take you. It, it's like a rope-a-dope. It's like, it is like God dangles us out there weak before all the powers of the heavens and says, I dare you to attack this one. <laughs> you, you don't know what kind of fire you are messing with. I, I dare you. Try. Try. Here he is. I, I'll shove him out there between Migdol and the sea, right? A nation with, with women and children. A nation without provisions. A nation that's heading out into a desert. I mean, who does that? I'll shove them out there on the end of the pirate's prank for you. Daring the enemy to pursue them. It speaks a message to the heavenly realm. Ephesians says that we declare of God's manifold wisdom to the heavenly realm. How? It says God can take the weak that are conformed to his image and overcome the powers of the heavens. You shouldn't have messed with them. We serve a God who will take 6,000 years to prove a point good. To prove it well. I felt the scorn of the English teachers in that moment. To prove the point well. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. For God to gain glory for himself, you have to be willing to be put between Migdal and the sea. You have to be willing to be backed into a corner. You have to be willing to be dragged out into a desert. You have to put your life in a vulnerable position. And if you can't do that, then God can't gain glory through you because there's nothing tempting in your life for the enemy to attack. We cannot hide in the center of the fortress and claim that we are warriors. Mm -hmm. You want to accomplish something for Jesus? Yes. Is it important yes. to you? Yes. yes. It's important to three of you. Is it important to you to accomplish something yeah. for Jesus? Yes. I owe him at least that much, don't I? When he found me, I was worse than a pig. And he changed everything about me. I'd been trying for years and I couldn't do it. I owe him my very best. I owe him that much. Look at verse 19. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew 
and went behind them. The pillar of the cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. God leads you into adversity. He leads you into danger. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. Verse 20, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Once He gets you in the most awkward, hair-raising, vulnerable position in the planet, He puts you behind His back and faces the enemy for you. Like Jehoshaphat learned, the battle belongs to the Lord. We can choose to stay on high ground, well-protected ground. We can, we can make sure that our lives are comfortable and never know what it is to see God actually fight for us because we've leaned on our own arm and the curse that comes with it. But when you give till it hurts, go until you're exhausted, till you learn the meaning of what it is to walk and not faint because He's holding you up, till you've been drugged through a desert because you've trusted His voice. You don't really get to know what it is to see Pharaoh drowned in the Red Sea. I want to dance with Miriam and her tambourines. I want to declare with Moses, the Lord is a warrior. I want to know what it is to have had my life hung out there on a string, tempting the enemy to attack so that God could slap him across the room. I'm just one of those guys that likes that kind of thing. I don't want to tell any more silly stories, but I'll tell you, there was a time in my life a guy's little brother was my age. His name was Stefan. Stefan was not even a small challenge to me. And I knew that. And I took advantage of him because I was lost. You know, I treated him however I wanted to. His brother showed up one night. And he treated me worse than I had been treating Stefan, and there wasn't a thing I could do about it. And it was in front of everybody that I knew. It was the most humiliating and embarrassing and crushing thing that ever happened in my life. I have a big brother. And whatever the enemy thinks he's going to get away with doing to you, as long as you listen to your big brother's voice, he will come through for you. And by the way, that humiliating, crushing thing brought me so much closer to Jesus. It showed me I was not God. It showed me that my way led to destruction. It humbled me so he could work with me. Adversity will train you, friends. Don't shy away from it. Rise to the challenge. Amen? Amen. Amen. We're going to come together Sunday. I need you to do something. I'm speaking to every man, woman, and child in the room. We're not leaving anybody out. I need you to do something. I need you to consider getting here earlier than you normally get here and to be praying. Corporate prayer is going to be something that is very important to us for a lot of reasons. One is we believe revival is coming. We believe that it's coming and that you pray it in. Another is we are loading the room with those who desperately need Jesus and have been subject to every kind of wicked thing. We need you here to help prepare an environment. You can no longer sit safely in your seats and wait for me and Matthew to do the work. You are now part of the ministry team. Our job has been preparing you for works of service. And at some point, you have to be prepared. You have to be. I believe that time is now.
So when we bring 69 homeless people on a bus, we need at least 69 people here that are full of the Holy Ghost and power. But if none of you show up, I will still be here. I will still face it. And I will still do it. And I will still succeed. You'll just miss all the glory. I'm inviting you into what my Father has given us. Stand to your feet. Let's pray.